Thank you, team. Thank you, Nick. Thank you all. Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome. I'm so glad that we are here uh, together tonight. I feel like we should do some, some introductions and some, some welcome. So we'll do that now for about four minutes. Uh, my name's, that was a joke. My name's uh, Eric Henderson. I'm the senior associate pastor uh, here at Green Lake. Uh, and I want to welcome those of you who are joining us from other Bethany locations. Maybe uh, let's hear some, hear some noise. Okay. <laughs> Good, Dr. Styling. All right, uh, children, children and youth. I see some of our students up here. Okay, loud and proud. This is good. Uh, those of you online, you can kind of cheer. Uh, and then there might be a few of you tonight that were brought by a friend. Hey, there's this thing at my church. I'll tell you about it later. Uh, so we'd love to hear what you thought uh, at the end. Um, but uh, I'm glad that we're here as we begin this 40-day journey of the season of Lent, this journey toward Easter uh, together. The goal for our time tonight, and so you can let me know after if we did this together, uh, is to be inspired and equipped uh, to participate in the season of Lent. So uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, uh, my hope is to help us see uh, this, that Lent is a season of preparation for Easter, a season where we come to understand that Jesus is a feast and we are hungrier than we know. I've titled this talk, uh, Everybody's Got a Hungry Heart because I love Bruce Springsteen. Uh, maybe you do too. That's a great song. Uh, but it also rings true in my life. Uh, each of us have hungers and, and desires, uh, these longings, simply put, these wants that, that we're after, and these pursuits shape our lives. The, the greatest of these desires is that of satisfaction, and more simply put, this sense of enough. Words like justice and, and righteousness or shalom are words that we often use uh, inside the church, but this quest for enoughness isn't a religious or a Christian thing, it's a human thing. In the book, uh, Seculosity, how career, parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance became our new religion and what to do about it. Uh, David Dahl looks at our quest for enoughness and all the energy that we expend trying to, to create. And, and he points out that as we climb these ladders, they only get taller and the rungs get further apart. It's like one of those classic movie scenes where um, the characters are a long way from home and they're running out of, of, of food and water and they're tired and they're climbing this hill. Uh, I couldn't pick just one movie because it seems like it's such a classic story. And, and as they get to the top, they expect to see safety and provision and home on the other side, only to get to the top and before their very eyes, they see another hill to climb. Enough is this moving target uh, and, and it leaves us less and less satisfied and more and more tired and in need of rescue. The season of Lent then is good medicine for us because it's an invitation into the wilderness with Jesus where our hungers are exposed and, and magnified. Our longing for satisfaction is intensified and our hope in the promise of resurrection is realized just over the next hill. So we're hungry, and we're going to understand this uh, together tonight by answering these three questions. Uh, why are we hungry? This is the why of Lent. What are we hungry for? This is the what of Lent. And how is our hunger satisfied? This is the how of Lent. 
Now, I'll be honest with you, like many good uh, evangelical kids, uh, I grew up on a steady diet of Salty, the singing songbook, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, and Christian summer camp. Uh, so the depth of the church calendar wasn't super known to me. Like, I thought communion was something that we did annually. Uh, and then there were these days where we dressed up, like we actually put on like a nice shirt, maybe the iron came out, and they were called Christmas Eve and Easter. And then there were some other holy days that I think I probably thought uh, were for uh, folks who were Catholic. But in my teen years, I heard about this thing called Lent, where everyone around me would give up coffee or chocolate. Uh, and, and I didn't like either of those things, uh, and I wasn't interested in giving up gummy bears uh, or Diet Coke. Those were, those were my loves back then. Uh, and so uh, I, I didn't really in, engage it. I, I love the idea of saying no to, to some things in order to say yes to even better things, that, but that wasn't my experience of what uh, folks were doing. Fast forward to now and I realize how much I'm a product of, of our culture of, of, of excess and immediacy. That when I'm hungry, I just eat and I often overeat. I'm feeling bored or, or, or lonely and so I hop on social media and two hours go by or I run to you village and, 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 and buy something only to get it home and realize it's just like the thing I bought last month. <laughs> Thanks, Don. You see, this isn't a message about food. This is a message about hunger. And we're hungry for all sorts of things. But our eating often leaves us dissatisfied, does it not? So realizing this in my own life, I was searching for a, a, a good book uh, to help me engage Lent because I knew some things needed to be reordered in my life. And a, and a friend posted on, on social media uh, this, this book called The Good of Giving Up. Uh, it's, I devoured it in, in just a few days and read it again and read it again. And it's been such a gift to spend time with uh, in preparation for Lent. We'll have some copies uh, in the kiosk here on Sunday or you can hit up our local bookseller, Amazon. Um, I said that Lent is a season of preparation for Easter and right at the outset of the book, the author, Aaron Damiani, who's an Anglican pastor in Chicago, he makes this assertion. He says this, we are not ready for Easter, not emotionally, not spiritually. And, and then he goes on to say that Easter Sunday is a victory feast, but in many churches it feels like a company picnic where everyone is expected to show up and be happy. It, the truth is that when Jesus rose from the dead, history itself uh, took this wild and surprising turn, that death was turned in on itself. And that's why we declare on Easter that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. I'm going to read you what he goes on to say. So, so why then do we still feel awkward and half-hearted on Easter Sunday? He says, in many cases, it's because our imaginations have been malnourished along the way to Resurrection Sunday. We've been secretly snacking on lesser stories, such as politics or our children's athletic success. In theory, the gospel is compelling, but in reality, we would rather pay attention to whatever Netflix is offering. That cuts me deep. <laughs> we are so full on the junk food of our culture that we cannot metabolize the feast on our Easter plates. 
He, he goes on to reference this phrase from Augustine that was incurvatus inse, meaning curved in on oneself. That we were made to look upward and outward with our imaginations to behold the beauty of God in Christ. But like a Grand Canyon tourist who would rather look down at their Instagram likes than the outward breathtaking vistas in front of them, we have curved in on ourselves. We are called to worship, but we have chosen to fantasize. We've exchanged God's exhilarating and expansive story for lesser stories shaped by our fears, by our pain, and unhealthy desires. The truth is that well before Easter, Jesus can wash and prepare and fill our imaginations for worship. And this is where the practice of Lent comes in. And it's true, we, we aren't starving. We, we've eaten, but we're hungry for better food. We're malnourished from snacking on lesser things. And this is why we're hungry, and this is why we need the season of Lent. So what are we hungry for? I think we're hungry for an experience. We're uh, hungry for a reordering of our loves, the things that have our affections. We need a shift in perspective and a renewed commitment to the grand story of redemption. Damiani writes that Lent is an ancient pilgrimage that the Lord uses to recapture our imagination of and renew our participation in the greatest story ever told. And this is where the idea of wilderness comes in. Again, Damiani writes, we might assume that wilderness is this place of exile and isolation, and it can certainly be that. But in the story of redemption, the wilderness has always been a sacred rendezvous spot for God and his beloved sons and daughters. That in the wilderness, we detox from our false attachments and renew our sacred and primal bond with our loving father. And he likens this experience in the wilderness to, to God putting our whole existence on airplane mode. And, and we get serious FOMO when this happens, do we not? We, we don't have our, our go-to stories and our stimulants on tap. But this is a gift for us because the desolation and quiet helps us to understand that the gospel is true. We don't go to find God. We go because God has found us. And the wilderness was the place where the, the Israelites experienced God's provision, bread from heaven and, and water from a rock. It wasn't the place that Israel earned their salvation. It was the place where they internalized what it meant to be saved. And this is Lent for us. Damiani reminds us that it took Israel 40 years to realize they were the Lord's treasured possession, not Pharaoh's unworthy slaves. And with each nourishing meal from Jesus, they began to believe what was already true. So Lent is an invitation into the wilderness for a rendezvous with Jesus, an encounter that strengthens and shapes us, it even tests us. Consider Jesus' own 40-day journey in the wilderness. When the devil came at him with stories of self-sufficiency uh, and, and, and power, Jesus was ready. He was reciting the word of God that lived inside him and the devil left him. We're hungry for a real encounter with God, but we're also hungry for the reality of our lives to change. We wanna see the fruit of our faith and the enoughness that we set out for in the first place. We need to learn to, to love the future, enough that we're willing to embrace limits in our present. And this is hard for us, it's hard for me because uh, we like to see immediate results. We, we wanna eat the fruit now and later. 
but the best things in life take time and patience. I've heard it said the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. The day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. You know, by the way, one of the things that keeps us on this treadmill of enoughness is that we look around and compare ourselves uh, to our neighbor. We don't often stop and look at the season that we're in and the season that they're in. We must not compare our seed season to our neighbor's harvest season. Now, despite the fact that the farmer's market down the street from my house uh, has crops that are out of season all the time, this isn't the way of things. Those strawberries in January traveled a really long way, and they're tricking me into believing that, that they're always available. There's a group of us from Bethany last week that saw this idea firsthand in, in Nicaragua as we visited an Agros village. We'll show you some pictures here. Agros is one of our global partners and we take a trip there annually to build relationships to see how God is moving among these rural farmers who are, are working to own land and lift themselves out of the cycle of poverty. We saw how, how firsthand how true it is that the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. They shared with us their, their annual planning on each plot of land. That was a picture of that whiteboard that you saw where each farmer would plant and harvest which crop and, and which would go to market when. It was a really impressive uh, system full of hard work, innovation, cultivation, and strategy. But at the end of the day, they had to trust that the seed was good and then let nature take its course. They shared stories with us of the coffee rust years ago and their struggle uh, developing crops that were resistant to disease and weather. But they also shared stories of fruitful harvest and God's provision as they did their part and then waited for the fruit to come. We're hungry for a life-altering encounter with Jesus and we're hungry for our future hope to be our present reality. The Israelites wandering in the wilderness did so hungry for the promised land. And in the season of Lent, we set out in the wilderness, unsatisfied on purpose, clinging to the promise of something better than the world could offer. So how is our hunger satisfied then? How do we do Lent? When you came in tonight, uh, you should have been handed a, a card that says my Lenten uh, rule of life on the back. Uh, feel free to grab one on, on your way out. If you've been around Bethany, you've likely heard us talk about rule of life uh, quite a bit. We like to say it's not, it's not going anywhere. We're gonna keep hitting it until everybody's uh, doing it. This is this monastic practice intended to help us make the radical demands of the gospel a practical reality in our daily lives. That we often react against the word, uh, the word rule and yet it simply means regular. Call it, call it a rhythm of life if, if that helps you. The goal is to commit to some specific practices that help us keep God at the center of our lives. Again, this isn't a way to earn salvation, but a way for us to internalize what it means to be saved and live into the very freedom that Jesus has already given us. It's our hope that anyone who doesn't currently have a rule of life uh, would take this opportunity during Lent to try it out. That's why we've designed even a, a simpler version for this season. Now the three most common practices uh, throughout uh, the various iterations of Christian tradition are prayer, fasting, and generosity. 
And so you'll see there are two categories under each of those to consider in developing your own rule. The idea is that you'll describe a specific practice under each of these disciplines. Or maybe you just take one or maybe, maybe two of them uh, and then choose a rhythm or frequency that you intend to do it. I'll show you mine in a, in a minute, but let me walk through these briefly. The first is prayer. The idea uh, is that uh, we can pray in community and we can pray in honesty and weakness. But I wanna say a few things about prayer uh, in community. Uh, a big part of prayer is our, our gathered worship uh, together. And maybe you need encouragement in this season uh, to, to come uh, just to, to show up to church, to go to your small group. I'm gonna join the community and pray uh, together in this season. But there's this idea that Lent is an invitation for us to keep watch together. There's a passage in Matthew 26 uh, where Jesus is trying to pray and he invites his disciples to keep watch with him. And, and they keep falling asleep. And he keeps coming back and he's like, are you guys sleeping? Like, I'm, the hour is, is coming. Uh, he says, are you still sleeping and resting? He again found them sleeping. Couldn't you, you, you men keep watch with me for one hour? Lent is a, a season together where we keep watch uh, with Jesus. So we wanna invite us to pray together in community. And then the second here is uh, praying together in honesty, or praying uh, in honesty and weakness. The scripture invites us to pour our hearts out to God. Uh, Matthew 6, 8 says that, that God already knows. So we can be honest, like the choir saying, even before we call your name, you hear our prayer. And so we don't have to hide anything. We can be completely honest with God. And then the, the second way to pray in honesty and weakness is to embrace our need. There's a passage in Revelations 3 where Jesus is writing to the church in Laodicea and he says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. We can name our need and embrace our need uh, before the Lord. So that's prayer. The second thing is, is fasting. Now it says on the card, uh, from a, a luxury food, drink, or a meal. Sometimes we go for some weak sauce stuff uh, during Lent. Like, oh, I'm just not gonna put ice in my water. It's a real, <laughs> it's a real sacrifice. I just encourage you to like dig a little deeper. Uh, so, and I'll share mine with you in, in just a minute. Uh, or it could be a meal. That's a partial fast. Uh, you could decide, hey, I'm gonna, uh, I, I know how to do this safely, and so I'm gonna uh, skip lunch, or probably half the room is doing intermittent fasting right now anyway. So make sure it's spiritual. This isn't a, just about uh, self-improvement. The second area to fast is from a modern distraction. And uh, there should be plenty of opportunities in each of our lives uh, for this. So this could be social media, this could be TV, this could be whatever it is that you run to. Uh, I wanna say a couple things about what fasting is not. This is distinct from repentance of sin. Like don't, don't fast from internet pornography or sleeping uh, with your significant other. Instead, confess 
those sins to the Lord and receive forgiveness and then take intentional, immediate steps to rid that from your life. Fasting is also not an addiction treatment program. If you feel powerless to overcome uh, an addiction, we encourage you to seek professional help. Our pastoral team would love to, to point you in the right direction. But here are some questions to ask yourself as you consider where to fast. What cravings have a hold on me? What would be truly liberating to leave behind? What would be challenging to give up? And then finally, fasting leads us to generosity. There's this beautiful passage in Isaiah 58 that you'll see on the screen. It says this, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Fasting leads us to generosity. And there's two ways we can consider generosity, with time and with resources. And and, and as you consider what that is, I want you to uh, have this in your mind, this idea that generosity is relational, not transactional. And so it'd be easy for us to, to, to give some money toward a thing that, that we have no personal connection with, no, no real skin in the game. And so encourage us, how does, how does our generosity move us toward the other or those that we have otherized? Make a choice to be generous uh, and, and, and have that be transactional, have that be relational, not transactional. And then some other things that I'd like for us to consider as we prayerfully develop our rule. I I want us to think about uh, practicing Lent in the context of our mission as followers of Jesus. That we would let service to the kingdom be our motivation more than self-improvement. Invite us to live closer and more open to Jesus than than closer to attaining, attaining our idea of enoughness and our sense of having arrived in the world. And then this, maybe ask the Lord to point out one specific way that he wants you to become more like Christ during Lent. Perhaps read uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7 and ask yourself, what, what doesn't look like me right now? Or, or read the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and then pray that God would give you a clear picture of your spiritual growth. So I'll show you my, uh, I just kind of chicken scratch this out. Uh, and so in honesty and weakness, man, when I'm driving into work and have the radio on, my like red line goes real fast. And so I'm just gonna turn that off in the morning and just pray honestly uh, to the Lord. Uh, pray uh, for myself, pray for others. I'm gonna do that each morning. And then my luxury food, uh, drink, or meal is kind of all together. Uh, I often, at the end of a stressful day, do a little thing called the fourth meal. Uh, it's not about sustenance, it's, it's like I'm stressed, I'm bored, I'm anxious, and so you sort of reach for those premium items. We have like a box above the fridge where like the contraband is, and that's where I go. So, so I'm gonna avoid the fourth meal after, after 8 p.m., so I got 14 minutes here. <laughs> and I'm gonna do that six days a week because Friday night is a party at our house. 
And then lastly, with generosity, we're gonna do a family gift. If you're a family, uh, would love to encourage uh, you to, to pick a piece of these to do together. You can even do this uh, with roommates or do this with some close friends. This doesn't have to be a, a personal uh, hidden thing. This can be a shared thing. And so uh, my family's coming up with a way that we can uh, save some money during this month and then we're gonna uh, make a gift uh, uh, to their currently in California and I'm joining them tomorrow so we're gonna talk about this together. We're gonna make a gift or save weekly and give on Easter. And so that's what mine looks like uh, if that helps you as you consider yours. But I'll close with this before we receive ashes uh, together. I told you about the book Seculosity where the author suggests that we need rescue from these ladders of success that, that just keep getting taller and harder to climb. And he tells the story of going to the beach with his kids and his heart sinking when he saw this sign that said, caution, riptide. There was a legendary story in their family about the time their grandfather got caught in a riptide and almost died. The story was called, The Time Your Grandfather Got Caught in a Riptide and Almost Died. He told the story again before his kids uh, got in the water because he wanted to be sure they were extra careful. Now, I don't really know how uh, riptides work. Some of you will come up and tell me afterward. Uh, but there's this counterintuitive nature to staying alive if you find yourself caught up in one. It's shark attacks get all the press, but the real danger to beachgoers are riptides. The, the, the reason people drown is that they panic and they swim against the current toward the shore. And the force of the water not only drains their energy, but it pulls them under. This is a scary deal. The, the key, it turns out, is to not resist, but to go with the flow. Instead of exerting yourself, allow the current to take you out to sea. The tidal forces will settle after a minute or two and dump you in a safer spot. Your life depends on letting go of control. The author continues to, to tell this story like this. He says, I only told my son half the story of the day your grandfather got caught in a riptide and almost died. The rest is too strange and too miraculous. You see, son, your grandfather relaxed into the current but that only kept him alive long enough to be dragged out into the Atlantic. Yet it was there in the overwhelming expanse of the sea, bereft of hope, that your grandfather ran into him. Some man in flippers was swimming past, likely training for a triathlon or some such thing. This angel of a deep water enthusiast swooped in, hauled your grandfather to shore, and then revived him. That's why he was alive today. He was rescued. The end. The season of Lent positions us to stop fighting for our own survival or creating our own sense of, of enough. It helps us relax into our need for rescue and produces in, in us a, a hunger and a longing for the hope of Easter, resurrection life, a joyful feast that is waiting for us on the other side of the wilderness. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are indeed a feast and we are indeed hungry people. We pray in this season that we would walk in step with you, that we would find ourselves closer and closer to you as we learn the beauty of giving up and letting go. Lord, we love you in your name. Amen.
Well, all this talk of, of hunger, but there's no, there's no feast tonight. There's no, there's no Chick-fil-A, there's no uh, Thai takeout, there's not even uh, grape juice and gluten-free crackers. Instead, there's ashes. A reminder that we are dust, a symbol of our repentance, an embracing of our limits, an acknowledgement of our need and the finitude of our earthly lives. I wanna invite you to join me in this unison prayer that, that Prentice read for us once in the, earlier in the service as we prepare to respond in worship. Let's read together. Oh God, you who made me from the dust of the earth and who lay me down in the dust of death, may this place of lowliness not have the last word in my life but rather become a place from which something radically new can be born so that I might praise you even here in my humble estate and in the name of the one who raises us from the dust and breathes in us everlasting life. Amen. Well, several of our pastors are gonna join me up here spread out as we begin to, to sing together. The invitation is for you to come forward traveling uh, counterclockwise uh, through your sections. And we're gonna make the symbol of the cross in ashes on your forehead or on your hand if you'd rather. And we're gonna remind you that you're dust and to dust you will return. And then as you return to your seats, I'll just invite you in a posture uh, of worship to, to pray or to continue singing, perhaps considering your Lenten rule. I'll invite you forward. Let's continue in worship.